Hey, spooky people. I'm Marissa Baldwin. And I'm Emily Law. And we are your hosts for the new podcast, Unknown Compelling Force. Your hotspot for... Paranormal. Cryptids. UFOs. True crime. Conspiracy theories. Urban legends. And more. (laughs) And anything else that makes you a little scared of the dark. Since you've only been hearing our voice for... 30 seconds now. We just want to tell you guys a little bit about ourselves, just so you kind of know who you're dealing with here. (laughs) And if you want to stick around. (laughs) Yeah, if if you love it or hate it. (laughs) Um, So I'm Marissa. I currently live in Rochester, New York with my very cool roommate. That's her. Me. That's her. (laughs) And uh, my two cats, who are my actual children, and my hedgehog. I got into spooky stuff at a pretty early age. Uh, I had a mom who was obsessed with Stephen King and a dad who was obsessed with Halloween, so I guess I came by it natural. (laughs) (laughs) I started watching scary movies probably earlier than I should have. Mm, Definitely. And then suddenly I was doing that thing where, you know, I, like, can't sleep at night, so I read scary ranker lists, and then I can't sleep. (laughs) Yeah, the total opposite of what you should do. Exactly. (laughs) And it evolved to this podcast (laughs) happening. Um... Yeah, that's about it for me. I'm sure you'll learn more about me as time goes on, and I'm sure the the more you know, the less you'll like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, I guess I'll go. Um, I'm Emily. I just moved here to Rochester, New York, uh, like, three months ago, so we've only known each other for three months, but I think we're, like, soulmates. We're, like, clones of each other. It was meant to be. Yeah, which is really weird, because this was, like... Very random how we found each other it's, online. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Internet. Anyway. Anyways, I'm here in New York uh, to get my master's in art therapy. So I'm, you know, your hippie art therapist-to-be, true crime-loving weirdo. Um, wait, okay, so if you're, like, the hippie art girl, what what does that make me? Set trash. <laughs> Set trash. <laughs> you, the true crime art hippie, me. The cryptid loving sad yeah. trash. <laughs> there we go. I like it. Let's go with that. <laughs> but I grew up pretty much the same way you did. Um, my family subjected me to horror films at a very early age. That was our form of entertainment. Um, and eventually I just assimilated to it and started to enjoy it. And now <laughs> I uh, know way too much about anything scary and serial killer-y. So. Serial killer-y. Uh, so basically you can catch us. Uh, watching scary movies and eating snacks and oh, yeah. petting, petting cats animals. and dogs, yes. Uh, that's really all there is. <laughs> We're not that fun. <laughs> and now this podcast. Woo! This is exciting. This is exciting. This is our first one, guys. We've been really excited to start this, and we're really excited to get into it. So yeah. should we start? Let's get into it. All right, let's go. All right, Emily, are you ready? I'm very ready. Okay, so... Today, I want to tell you a little about the black-eyed children. (laughs) So, I feel like most people who are into, like, creepy internet wormholes are pretty aware of the black-eyed children, or at least have, like, read, like, my best friend's goldfish's brother's cousin met a black-eyed kid, but, like, I want to get more into, like, how they started and what they are. So, in case you don't know... Uh, The Black Eyed Children are, like, an urban legend that's been circulating since, like, the 80s, but there have been sightings of them even before that, but the 80s is kind of when they really blew up and Mm -hmm. became, like, kind of this little spooky pop culture icon, almost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So, they're these beings, 
um, that appear as children, usually between the ages of 6 and 16, and they're usually in pairs or in groups, but from what I've seen, they're never seen alone. Mm. Um, they're usually in pairs. They're usually seen, like, approaching adults who are alone at night in the dark, and they, like, ask for some kind of favor. Um, like, they ask to use the phone or, like, get a ride or something, but... They're always showing up in, like, creepy, weird, dark places, like, the street and... <laughs> the creepy places, like, the street. The street. Okay. In um, Rochester. Yeah. All the Rochester streets. Um, or, like, parking lots and just weird, dark, abandoned Secluded kind areas. of places. Yeah. yeah. With people who are alone. Um, which, actually, there was a movie about them that I saw on Netflix, like, a year or two ago. I'm sure I've seen it. I just, yeah. I don't think it was that memorable. I, I don't know. I, like, put it on at, like, three in the afternoon, like, by myself. I was, like, folding laundry. Like, it was one of those movies that, like, it was enough that I remember it, and it was, like, pretty creepy, but yeah. it wasn't that, That's a mood, though, watching horror movies alone. Yeah. At any time of the day. That, like, if, okay, if I'm gonna, like, sit down and watch one in the dark, I don't think I could do it alone. Oh, um, I could. I feel, <laughs> I feel like at this point I've been so desensitized, but then I oh, yeah. think that. But then once I start watching one alone, I'm like, mm-mm, no, no. But if it's, like, the middle of the day, I'm like, yeah, whatever, I don't give a fuck. Um, but, so, yeah, there was, like, one on Netflix. There have been, like, a few movies about them, and there's books about them, yeah. but they're mostly just stories. They're not, yeah. like, factual Yeah, evidence, there's no, I like, guess. hardcore evidence, I don't right. think. Exactly, and that's, like, kind of what made doing the research about this so hard was that there's not a ton of concrete evidence to go mm-hmm. off of. It's just that, like, friend-of-a-friend story, Yeah, you know? Um, but they did actually, they were on MSN, they were on the news in, like, 2013. Um, so weird. I know, they were, like, there was, like, a video or something that made the Weekly Strange segment on MSN. I have to look that up, because I don't remember that. The video was, like, I don't know, like, I watched it, it was yeah. creepy, but it wasn't very concrete evidence, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that just could be a fucking kid in a hood. Right, it was, like, like grainy and, you know. Yeah. But the most interesting, thi- well, one of the most interesting things I found while I was researching this was that, like, the first recorded sighting of a black-eyed kid was actually in 1950. That's strange. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of, like, the scary phenomena, snowball kind of things happened when the internet became popular. Yeah. And then it was less of word-of-mouth stories and more of, like, you can go on the internet and look yeah. up black-eyed children and find a thousand stories. I always thought it was just, like... A creepypasta thing. Like, some yeah. dude in a basement made it up. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> the first story was actually in 1950, and it's actually, it's really, really similar to a lot of the stories that you hear now, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So, in 1950, there was a boy that was just called Harold. There's no last name. It was just a boy named Harold, um, who lived in Virginia, and he was walking home, and he saw a child, like, leaning against a fence near his house when he was on his way home. And Harold just said hello, but the kid didn't respond, and Harold... Didn't think much of it. He kept walking. But once he passed, he heard the child say, I want to go to your house. You're going to walk me up to your house. Well, damn. Right. So then, <laughs> so then Harold turned and looked and noticed that he had black eyes. Like, entirely black. Like, no whites, no irises. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, just entirely black. Which, fucking put the fear of God in him. Understandably, he was terrified. And he was going to start running. But before he could, the kid said, now don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me up to your house. With, he said, fuck nah. Uh, and he took off running to his house, and he said that when he started to run, he heard the boy let out the scream of a bobcat behind him. Oh. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, but my boy Harold, <laughs> he sa- eated. He he said fuck that, and he kept running because he's seen horror movies. He knows you don't stop and turn around and find out what that was. You don't even you don't look back. You just keep running. And he ran all the way home. And immediately told his parents what happened. They fully believed him. And his dad went out with a gun to try to hunt this kid down because he thought it was a demon. Damn. Yeah. Like, that's how intensely they believed him. And, like, obviously his reaction must have been really extreme. Yeah. If his parents were going out with a gun to shoot a a child. (laughs) Demon child. (laughs) Gonna go kill a kid. So, they went out, they didn't find him, obviously, but his mother was still so shaken that he, she actually took him to a priest to do, Mm -hmm. I don't know, presumably priestly things to defend them from this demon. Um, And as far as I know, they never saw him again, never heard from him again. The the child, not Harold, the little boy. (laughs) They probably heard from him. So that was, like, the first recorded story of a black-eyed child, and all parts of it are incredibly similar to the other stories that I'm going to tell you. I just realized. What? This kid was alone. Yeah. And all the st- other stories oh, we yeah. read, they've been in pairs or groups. Yeah, that's right. That's, like, one of the important things of black-eyed children is that they all, like, the Fresno Nightcrawler, like, it's always yeah. seen in pairs or in, like, small groups. I know you don't love the Fresno Nightcrawler like no, I do. I love him. He's a big <laughs> pair of pants. He's just <laughs> pants, and I love him. We'll, we'll cover that sometime. We'll, we'll get there, man. <laughs> I love Fresno. So, but other than that one point, that's a good point that I didn't think of, actually. I didn't even think, I didn't know, I didn't realize that until we talked about that story. Yeah, um, but other than that, like, a lot of the points are very similar, which will lead me, actually, into the most famous sighting, which is kind of what made Black Eyed Children, like, so popular. Mm -hmm. And this was in the best year of all time, 1996. (laughs) When... Very cool people were born. Um, I thought you were sad trash. <laughs> I am sad trash. I could still be cool. So, on January 16th, 1996, one week to the day before I was born. That's weird. It's very weird. And I believe it's pronounced Abilene, Texas. Mm-hmm. There was a man named Brian Bethel who claimed that two kids with black eyes tried to get into his car. So the story goes that he was sitting in his car writing a check to pay his internet bill when he heard a knock on the window next to him, like on the driver window, and he looked and it was two boys who he guessed were between, like one was about nine and one was about 12, and they were just standing outside his car wearing hoodies. All right. And he said that the second he looked at them, he felt a weird sense of fear come over him, but he didn't really know why. And I'm going to interject and say, as a young woman... Anyone coming up to my car at night and knocking on my window, I am also going to be afraid. Put that shit in reverse. I have my dad's machete from Vietnam in my car (laughs) for this exact reason. (laughs) For the black-eyed children. For the black-eyed children and anyone who just comes knocking at my car window at night, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Or during the daytime. Just don't fuck with me. Anyway, back to it. So he said he had a weird sense of fear come over him. Um, and he was expecting them to, like, ask for money or something, which is a fair assumption, but they actually asked for a ride to their mother's house because they were going to see a movie, and they left their money home. Mm-hmm. So the point was that if they walked home to get the money and then walked back, they wouldn't make it back in time for the movie to start. Mm-hmm. So they were asking for a ride so that they could get back in time for the movie. He said that he looked away for a second, And one source said that he had actually begun reaching for the unlock button for the doors without even meaning to. They said as if he had been persuaded by the child to do so. 
But then he said when he looked back, he completely freaked out. He had that, like, heart-dropping-into-your-stomach kind of feeling um, mm-hmm. because he noticed that they had entirely black eyes. Same as with Harold in 1950. There was no pupils, no whites, just completely blacked-out eyes. And he said he just kind of stared at them for a second, and then the older one started getting pissed off and started being more demanding and said, just let us in. We can't come in if you don't tell us it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then he said even the younger one started trying to convince him as well and said, we won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. Okay. <laughs> Which is a weird thing to say if you don't, like, what a weird thing. I don't have a gun. Said every person with a gun ever. Yeah. Like, especially for a nine-year-old to say. Like, if a nine-year-old came up to my car and was asking for a ride, my first assumption would not be that they have a gun. <laughs> Unless they say they don't have a gun unprompted. Then I'm going to assume they have a gun. (laughs) You little creep. Anyway, (laughs) so Brian Bethel said that it seemed, by saying that, it seemed like they were implying that they didn't need a gun, which is... Yeah, that's fucked up. Creepy in its own way. And then he got really freaked out, broke out of his little fear trance, threw that bitch in reverse, and sped the fuck home. One one interjection for that story. Yeah. This man was approached in a secluded parking lot at night... These kids were wearing hoodies. How clearly could he see these boys' eyes? Right, and that's kind of my thought with a lot of this. Also, an important thing that you should know about Brian Bethel was that he had, like, an email mailing list about paranormal Mm. stuff. So he's already somebody who's prone to that good spooky shit. Yeah. So it, it could be a case of he's really into paranormal research and, like, paranormal reading and stuff like that, and then he has this kind of weird experience. He doesn't get a good look at these kids in the dark. It You could play it up in your head yeah. as, oh, shit, those kids had black eyes. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Because on its own, it's a weird interaction, but when you throw in the completely black eyes, then it's fucking terrifying, obviously. Oh, yeah. So that is an important thing to note about him. Um, but that is the story of Brian Bethel running into black-eyed children, and that's the story that... He's been interviewed about it, it's in a bunch of articles, it's online, um, and that's kind of the one that started the trend, I would say, of people sharing their stories, Mm -hmm. that they've had similar encounters, um, and now they're all over the internet. So I actually want to tell you about two other stories that are incredibly similar, and I don't want to tell you the similarities, I want you to figure them out. Sweet. It's going to be like a little test. Sweet. I mean, I hate tests, but go. That's too bad. (laughs) (laughs) So there was one that there was an engineer working a night shift, and he said that around 5 a.m. on July 31st, 2010, he was taking a smoke break outside when he noticed two teenage boys staring at him from across the street. And he thought it was kind of weird, but he just kind of ignored it and went back inside. Um, But then about 10 minutes after he was inside, he heard the intercom buzz, and he looked on the, like, security monitors and saw that those two boys were there staring into their surveillance camera as if they could see him through it. And he, like, pushed the little button to, like, ask what they wanted, and they didn't say anything, but they motioned for him to come outside, and then he just pretty much, like, told them to go away, but they didn't leave. Um, And they just, like, kind of kept staring at him Mm -hmm. through the camera, which is weird and unnerving (laughs) on its own. Oh, yeah. So he went to the door to, like, kind of chase him off, tell him to go home or whatever, Um, But before he opened the door, he could see through one-way glass that they had completely blacked-out eyes. And he he said that he decided he would call the police if he had to, 
um, because he got really freaked out upon seeing that, obviously, but he said, as if the boy read his mind, the moment the door opened, he said, that will not be necessary, sir. We simply need to use your phone. Can you let us in? Guy said, fuck nah, um, pulled out his cell phone and threatened to call the police if they didn't leave. Um, he made sure the door was locked and just, like, went back to his office. And one of the boys continued to stare at him through the camera into the monitor. And then after a while, he realized that the second boy had moved himself out back and was staring into the camera there. So they were looking at him from two different angles through two Fuck. different monitors. About an hour later, by 6 a.m., they had both moved into a blind spot. And it seemed as if they had just vanished. The police came but didn't find anybody there. Mm. So that was one of the, like less scary encounters but it shares a lot of similarities with the other two stories yeah but before we get into that i want to read you or tell you about the last one because that one's a really (laughs) this is the one that i i find maybe not the most relatable but the most (laughs) like specific to my weird fears okay so okay did you ever see the woman in black yes with daniel Daniel Radcliffe? radcliffe yes love of my life okay okay so for those of you who have not seen this horror movie. First of all, you should, because it's great. Yeah, there's two of them, by the way. The second one is just okay, though. Yeah, the first one's best, but... Um, and that movie, the second one, is what made me realize every British guy is named Harry. (laughs) That's just a fact. Okay. Like my husband, Harry Styles? Absolutely. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) My son. Okay. (laughs) So, in that movie, there's, you know, the point where he, like, opens the door and he looks outside and there's just... It's nighttime, and there's a thunderstorm, and there's just that line of, like, mud children with black eyes just, like, staring at him from, like, the edge of the trees. Yeah. Okay. That is my fucking nightmare. (laughs) Since I grew up in the middle of nowhere, and it was so dark where I lived, I was never afraid of, like, murderers or monsters. I was always afraid of, like, coyotes eating me (laughs) in my front yard. And then I saw that movie, and then every time I would get out of my car, I'd have to, like, sprint to my front door, because my brain was just like, the mud children! The mud children! Like, they're out here, they're gonna get me! I wish I knew you then, because I would go roll around in mud and then scare the shit out of you. <laughs> That'd be really fucked up of you, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this story reminded me a lot of that very specific weird fear I have. But this was in January, again, in 2016. Mm-hmm. They there like was a winter, okay. I guess so. <laughs> but Why? So, this story is very similar to that one. Mm -hmm. This was a woman came back to her apartment around 11 p.m., and she noticed that there were two teenage boys just, like, standing in her yard, which is creepy on its own. Mm -hmm. So, she, when she was getting out of her car, she reached into her purse, check that her pepper spray was still there, which, if I was 18, or even now, at the age of 24, if I'm getting out of my car and there are two teenage boys on my yard... I am also going to make sure that my pepper spray is available. Mine would be open and ready to fire. Yeah, I'd have my dad's Vietnam machete. <laughs> uh, two teenage boys on your yard at night is bad business. I'm just going to say it. So she reached in to grab her pepper spray, and when she tried to sneak past them, they both, like, turned at the same time to look at her. And she said that she immediately felt this, like, overwhelming sense of fear, and she reached for her pepper spray canister but before she could even start to move the older one said no need for that we just want to borrow your phone miss i you're 12 where's your phone there yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then that is the point that she noticed that their eyes were all pitch black no white at all and she felt her flight response kick in she just fucking ran to her door and just trying to get into her house um but they followed her and said please miss my mother won't be happy if she doesn't know where we are creeps and then she 
kind of felt guilty, but she was like, fuck that. She just ran into her house, and she slammed the door shut, locked it, and then headed for the kitchen, but then there was a knock on the door, and she was like, Jesus, fuck. So then they kept knocking, and she had this, like, she said this sense of dread that kept, Mm -hmm. like, building the longer that they knocked, and then she went to look through the peephole and saw that they were both staring directly at her through the people. That's why I don't look through people. Which, here's the thing, it is literally so easy to scare someone. You know that when you're knocking on a door, someone's going to look through the people. If yeah. you just look at the people, <laughs> you're going to scare them. I used to yeah. do it to my friend in college all the time. I'd go knock on her dorm door and just glare through the people. Yeah, it's fucking creepy as hell. Yeah. So, one of them said, just let us use the phone. We won't hurt you. We have no weapons to hurt you. Okay. And she, like, told him to get the fuck out of there. She wouldn't. She made sure everything was locked up. She called her friend to come over. And that was kind of the end of it. She didn't see them again after that. Hmm. But I think that these stories are important because they all have, like, so many similarities. And that, yeah. like, they're not really in-depth stories because they're such short encounters. And yeah. then they're kind of never seen again. Which but is they, weird. Right. But they all have this... I don't know. Like, they they all follow, like, the same storyline. Yeah. That, like, they all, they have two kids. They've mostly appeared to be boys. Yeah. Which is interesting. In most of the stories I read, I read, like, fucking 50 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them seemed to be old, to just two boys. And they all seem to have that, like, kind of, like, they're reading your mind thing. Yeah, which like, is weird. I didn't know that about those. Right. Because that's something that, like, I wouldn't have picked up on if I hadn't read, like, 300 of them. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, like, even our friend Harold from 1950 said before he could even start running, the kid said, you don't need to run. And the guy with the surveillance cameras, when he was going to call the police, he literally said, there's, like, there's no need for that. And then this girl, kind of, when she reached for her uh, pepper spray, he said, like, there's no need for that. Like, it's like, they know what you're about to do before you do it. So I don't know if it's, like, they can see the next five seconds of the future or they're just reading your mind or what, but they all have that really similar thing. Mm -hmm. And something else that I noticed that wasn't pointed out, but I just kind of picked up on was that it seems that the first time you look at them, you don't notice the black eyes. It's like that comes like when you look away for a second and then look back, that's when you notice that they have entirely black eyes. Like their true form sort of thing. Right. So it, it could be some kind of like they have the ability to, like, mask their eyes and have, like, normal eyes or something really briefly, and then they kind of, like, change their eyes or something when you look Mm -hmm. away or, you know, like, something like that. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. It just leads me to wonder why these people... Yeah. Like, are they just doing some Google Maps shit pinpointing, like, (laughs) all right, we're going to Virginia. We're going to go spook this dude. Let's just head on over to Virginia. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so... Yeah, there's, like, the eye thing, and then, like, reading minds, Mm -hmm. and it's just, like, there's so much that's similar that there are a lot of people who think that these could be demons, Um, and if that's the case, is it possible that these are, like, the same two demons just traveling to, like, various locations, or is it, like, a special breed of demons that all (laughs) just kind of have, like, the same shtick? But then when we think about, like, demons, like, Usually you gotta, like, somehow do something to summon it. It doesn't just knock on your door. Right, they don't just, like, I guess, yeah, they don't really just show up. But so, that's fun. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing is that, like, just since we're talking about, like, them being demons, they all kind of use that, like, child Mm -hmm. innocence of, like, oh, I just need to call my mom. Like, Like, just give me a ride to my parents' house. Like, I need to, you know, 
whatever with my mom. And I think that that's a lot of, like, paranormal encounters kind of have that, like, child innocence used as a trick. Like, the movie Annabelle, they were convinced that Annabelle was, like, the spirit of a little girl who wanted to inhabit a doll. But that's obviously not Mm. the fucking case. And, like, the biggest, baddest, darkest, most evil thing you can imagine is obviously going to convince you that it's the most innocent and cute thing you can imagine because yeah, that's you're what's, more vulnerable to, to it. Right, like, like that's what's going to pull at your heartstrings yeah. and be, oh my god, like a small child, let me help you. And mm. then, bam, your head spinning around and you're walking backwards and <laughs> ectoplasms all over the place. You um, throw up pea soup. Yeah, exactly. Often demons have been said to take the form of a child just to mm-hmm. like appeal to people's pathos and like trick them into doing yeah. what they want. So I think that that is a possibility. Or even like the guy who... Have you heard about, like, he was, like, a serial killer or something, and he used, like, the sounds of a crying baby to, like, lure people out mm-hmm. of their houses and then would, like, murder them. Mm-hmm. Or, like, there are stories of witches and witch-type mm-hmm. beings that pretend to be a crying woman. Yeah. Or, like, have the sounds of, like, crying children to lure people in to help them, and then they fucking get murked. Yeah. So, like, it's, I don't know, that's kind of the vibe that I get. Yeah. There's also, like, one relatively famous case in Staffordshire, England, that is kind of classified as a case of, like, a black-eyed child, even though it's so vastly different from Mm -hmm. all the other cases. Yeah. And this is the case of Canuck Chase, um, which is a place, not a person, Mm -hmm. where there's a little girl who is seen who has coal-black empty eye sockets, which is obviously different different. from the regular black-eyed kids, Mm -hmm. um, because they just have, like, eyes... But they're black. Mm -hmm. This girl just has none. Mm -hmm. And she was originally seen in the area, like, famously in the 1980s. A bunch of, like, paranormal investigators flooded the area trying to see her. There have been lots of sightings. As recently as 2015, there have been sightings of her along this, like, path through the woods. People will, like, hear a little girl giggling or they'll see her, like, walk out onto the path. There are some cases that say that she, like, leads them towards, like, a dangerous Mm -hmm. location or something like that, but none of those things match up to, like, the standard case of, like, what we consider to be the black children. Yeah. So that's, like, considered one of them, but it just seems like a standard, like, ritual haunting. Yeah, like, it's just a girl that was... I would assume yeah. murdered. Yes, because it's also, sorry, I actually sort of told you, it's based on a case of a girl who was kidnapped and found murdered. There you and that's, go. like, her ghost. So because of that story, there are people who believe that the black-eyed children are spirits of, like, murdered kids. But I All just, right. I feel like that doesn't hold as much water as mm-hmm. they're just, like, some kind of otherworldly yeah. thing. That's doing spooky shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to, like, probably get something from people. Because I yeah. didn't find any stories really of people who did let them in or like something terrible that happened or anything like that it's just kind of like i had a close call with a kid in a parking lot and then i was fine so don't quote me on this but now that we're talking about the fact that like no one has any information about what happens when you let them in i feel like i remember seeing something online about someone who said you know i don't know who it was just some random person on the internet who said that they had let those children in to use the bathroom or the phone or whatever. I don't remember what what it was. And mm-hmm. that after this happened, I don't know if these kids just left or what happened, but they said that after it happened, that one of the people that lived in the house got really, really sick. Well, it's coronavirus. Everybody's no, this really, was like really years sick. ago. <laughs> I know, I'm just um, 
<laughs> but I don't quote me on that. But I feel like I remember okay. reading something about that. But you know, who knows? The, that could be total bullshit. We right. don't know. Um, I mean, there's also the possibility that all of these stories are bullshit. But oh, I yeah. refuse to believe that. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm open to the idea. Just don't come to my doorstep. Right. That's fair. I mean, like like I said, like I teach little kids. But if a five-year-old shows up on my porch and says, I need to come call my mom, I'm going to say, how about we just stand out here and call the cops? Let, let's do that instead. I don't have a gun. If Let me tell you right now, if a six-year-old comes up to my front door and says, let me in, I don't have a gun, that kid's not coming <laughs> in my house. Me, lover of children, still yeah. says, I think the fuck not. So, any horror... I would like to tell you about some possible lore Sweet. that could explain some of these sightings of black-eyed children, which I think this is always the most interesting part of it because there are so many kind of prominent spooky figures, I'd say, in like creepy pop culture right now that like have basis in Native American lore yeah. or like really old totem poles and like cave mm-hmm. drawings of like very similar creatures, like. I'm coming back to the Fresno Nightcrawler, <laughs> my man Frezzy the Pants. Like, it's such a weird thing on its own, and there's mm-hmm. so little evidence and data about it, but there are Native American totem poles and pieces of art and legends that are incredibly similar from the same areas. I didn't know that, but I did know. I do remember seeing the video of the Fresno Nightcrawler, and that was freaking amazing. He's pants. He's just, like, eight-foot-tall white pants. He's just pants. Just chilling. Just fucking strolling along. Walking very awkwardly. I have to look at that video after this because <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, that's also how I feel when people try to say that aliens don't exist. Which, first of all, I will stand up on my soapbox and talk about, like, statistically, aliens exist. Yeah. Are they little green men mm, that come I doubt it. attacking other planets? Probably not, but there is some form of life out there, just obviously. Yeah. Like, that's just, statistically, it would be impossible for that not to be We the can't case. be the only ones on this yeah. single like, earth. They, they could be microorganisms, they could be a planet full of dogs, they could be beings made entirely of sound, I don't fucking know. But they're out there. But, it's wild to me, I watch too much Ancient Aliens, <laughs> but like, that there are stories and legends and myths from a dozen different native cultures that were separated by millions mm-hmm. of miles, thousands of miles that were untravelable at the time, mm-hmm. and that they're also separated by, like, centuries, and they yeah. still have such remarkably similar stories. Yeah, you got the hieroglyphs, you got the cave drawings, and these are all in different fucking the continents. Different parts of the planet, they're separate. like I said, like, separated by centuries. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason for these people to have the same stories unless there is something similar happening. Yeah. So, there are, you know, people who, like, listen to these online stories and are like, oh, well, it's just, like, internet fanaticism, it's just creepypasta, you saw it on a YouTube video and now you think it's true. But, like, these stories have been present for a millennia. Yeah. And I was hoping to find something like that when I was researching the Black Eyed Children, and lucky me, I found actually an Iroquois legend of a dark power called the Otkon, O-T-K-O-N, Otkon, Otkon. We're not natives, we have no clue. I'm going to apologize so heavily yes. for my poor pronunciation of literally everything. Yes. But also I thought it was fun that it was Iroquois because... Mm-hmm. Wait, okay, so if you're from New Jersey, did you guys, like, do, like, the whole Iroquois scoom thing at school? 
I barely remember high school classes. Oh, um, no, this is like primary school. I barely remember primary school. <laughs> okay. Um, um, I'm sure we went over it, but I'm sure it wasn't that, it wasn't talked about that much. You know? Yeah, so at my school, I grew up obviously like in upstate New York, and we had to talk about like every year around Thanksgiving, we would do like the Iroquois, because it was like the Confederation or Federation of Iroquois mm-hmm. um, that were all across New York State. And if you could say the acronym, you could get, like, a little prize. So the acronym was SCOOM because mm-hmm. it was Seneca, Cayuga, Oneida, Onondaga, and Mohawk. And so the Iroquois, which are from my region of the country, mm-hmm. had this legend that was shockingly similar to the Black Eyed Children, and it said that they believed in this dark power called the Akkan that could, like, take over children. Like, they could take them over if they were, like, walking alone in the woods, mm-hmm. they could be, like, taken by the Atcon and kind of, like, almost like they were possessed because they would come back with black eyes and pale skin and they would start acting nervously and that they would repeat themselves over and over. Mm-hmm. Or there was this being that was part of the Atcon called the Evil One that would, like, mate with female humans to right. produce these evil little children that were born with the chalky white skin and black eyes. Mm-hmm. And those children, when they, were bo- when they were born, they were killed as soon as they were born and then burned to keep them from reincarnating, which is super fucking dark. Mm-hmm. But if these babies were born actually looking like that, that's kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah. um, but so the, their whole goal was to, like, infect everybody mm-hmm. with the Akkan and then, um, like, destroy the tribe. So it was mm-hmm. a lot like Among Us. Yes. There is an imposter here <laughs> trying to take everyone out. Um, but the fact that they had the black eyes, the pale mm-hmm. skin, um, and that they were, like, acting really, like, nervous and awkward and that they would, like, repeat themselves. So it was like, they were clearly, like... what well, I'm, I'm in, Yeah, like, I'm interpreting it as, like, they were possessed and really yeah. bad at hiding it. <laughs> <laughs> They were new to this whole demon thing. Yeah, they were, like, brand new demons uh, paying their dues. So I thought that that was really interesting because it's, like, exactly Mm -hmm. sounds like the black-eyed children. Even, like, the repeating themselves. Yeah. The stories of the black-eyed kids seem like they have five different sentences that they just kind of recycle over and over. And most indigenous cultures, our, our sort of pop culture legends derive from indigenous cultures. Right, exactly. So the Wendigo... Yeah. You know, things like that, and, like, the Fresno Nightcrawler, stuff like that. Yeah, things like that. So I think that that's, like, a pretty compelling point, but there are obviously a million other explanations that Mm -hmm. I'm going to get into right now, actually. And my favorite one, because it's the silliest, is that the kids are on drugs, (laughs) which would explain, like, blown pupils and, like, really weird behavior. So if a kid comes up to you and they're on drugs and it's dark out and they have a hood up, and their pupils are blown wide because they're on some drugs and they start acting weird, like, your brain could look at that face and interpret it that their eyes are entirely black. hmm And um, it's dark as shit out, so... Right. However, some of these kids are, like, six. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a limb and at least hope that there aren't six-year-olds on, on these kind of on drugs... Crack or something. ...running around the streets on their own, but, you know... Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? And then, obviously, one of the biggest explanations is that it's just a hoax and that you can actually get contacts that cover your entire eye. Yeah. So that they think people are doing these hoaxes either to try to, like, scare or prank somebody just, like, for the lols Mm -hmm. or um, to get, like, the internet attention. So they could, like, be, like, 
quote unquote pranking someone who's in on it just to get like the, yeah. the clout. Or they could be, like, genuinely trying to, like, scare and prank somebody who doesn't know what the fuck's happening and they see a creepy kid with black eyes. Yeah. Um, kind of like, do you remember the clowns a few years ago? All too well. Yeah. Okay. 2016. So, (laughs) yeah, 2016, when there were just clowns running all over America and people just acted like that wasn't a thing, Mm -hmm. it it could be that case of, like, there was one instance Mm -hmm. where it did happen and it was really, really creepy but then everyone saw it on the internet and was like, oh, I want my five seconds yeah. of internet fame. It's, a, like, in 2016 when this happened, it was around Halloween. Mm-hmm. Everybody and their brother went out and bought a cheap clown mask or had one lying around and would just stand on the side of the road wearing it and then get their picture taken, post it on the internet, etc. And then it just became this, like, social media phenomena that everybody was, like, terrified to, like, leave their house because they thought a clown was going to kill them. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, I have three phobias on this earth. One of them is spiders. One of them is clowns. And I'm not going to tell you the third one. It's not goats. <laughs> I'm not afraid of goats. I just hate them. I love every single animal on this planet except goats. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel. Um, but so that was just like a whole stupid thing. And it's there are a lot of people who think that it's a big possibility that this is a yeah. similar kind of thing. Which Makes is, sense. that that's fair. You can get those um, black contacts literally anywhere. So. Right, and it's like that creepypasta fanaticism where people, like, hear the stories and want to make up their own, or mm-hmm. they just read a fuck ton of stories, and yeah. then they have a weird encounter, and then their mind plays tricks on them, and they think that it's that. If you watch enough scary ghost movies, and you go to bed the jacket hanging on the back of your chair is going to look like a ghost. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's, that's a possibility as well. And, like, the first one could have just been, like, a trick of the light, like we said, you know, and he said he didn't notice that his eyes were black until he looked back at him. It's maybe he didn't look at them properly the first time. Yeah. It could have been a trick of the light, something like that. But in general, there's a lot of doubt, and there's not, like, a ton of solid evidence. Mm-mm. It's just, like, those stories passed on through a friend and stories posted on the internet without, like, a lot of really concrete evidence. Yeah. Um, However, there is also the explanation that these kids are (laughs) demons. These kids are demons. (laughs) They're using that childlike innocence innocence, um, to, like, imply that, like, the safety of a child is at stake. Like, you have to do something here. Most Um, everybody's going to be like, I need to do something. Right. Unless you're just a fucking psycho. Right. So, like, I mean, it's like using a crying baby to lure you out of your house and if a kid comes up and says help 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 you have to help yeah so i go into mom mode and i'm not even a mom right i'm a mom of cats (laughs) and that's enough um but so yeah the last explanation i guess would be that the kids are demons but take that as you will Mm -hmm. i'm inclined to believe the indigenous cultural legend yeah um, just because there's so many legends that have kind of turned into something for mm-hmm. pop culture to kind of consume. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, that indigenous demon, I think it makes sense that that is uh, some form of demon. Yeah, I, th- I think that too. And I think that anything that has any connection to stories and myths that old has mm-hmm. holds some kind of Some weight. sort of fact in these. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that is my overview of the Black Eyed Children. Guys, there are so many stories mm. out there. If you want to go on the internet and just, like, read a bunch of, like, first-hand accounts, I strongly encourage it. 
And if you have any firsthand accounts <laughs> or have any kind of commentary, mm-hmm. if you have, um, you know, a theory that yeah. could explain them that I didn't talk about, um, or you know something that I don't, yeah. please tell us. You can um, go on our Twitter or Instagram at UCF Podcast, or you can send us an email at ucf.pod at gmail. Um, we definitely want to hear your stories. Yeah, we want to hear your personal accounts, your thoughts, your feelings. Uh please let us know because we definitely want to hear it. Oh, yeah. Keep us keep us informed. Yeah, for sure. All right, are we ready? Today we're going to be talking about my favorite genre of spookiness, Unsolved Mysteries. Ooh. This one involves a bunch of disappearances that have yet to be solved. I'm sure everyone's heard of the Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. you know, where ships go missing, aliens are seen planes crashing, whatever. Uh, This one's called the Vanishing Triangle of Ireland. Is that like a Bermuda Triangle, but in Ireland? Pretty much. It consists of about an 80-mile radius of land surrounding Dublin, where women have been going missing since the early 90s. That's weird that I haven't heard of it, because I love the spooky shit, but I also... I'm very Irish. I know a lot about Ireland, so it's weird that I've never heard of this. I know. I have only. I started hearing about it. I feel like a few years ago. I'm excited. All right. So, like I said, this um, vanishing triangle sort of started happening in the '90s. It's just uh, a bunch of women that have been disappearing outside the what, what do you call it? City, I guess, of Dublin, <laughs> <laughs> a town, city. Um, and the first disappearance actually happened in 1993. And it was a girl named Annie McCarrick. She was actually American. She was from America. Um, She was 26 from Staten Island. So, like, what, seven hours away from us. And she was going to college in Ireland. And she was was Irish, so she was really into learning about the culture there and really, you know, learning about her heritage. So she went missing Friday, March 26, 1993. And this was just a few days before her mom was supposed to come and visit her. So I'm sure it was something she was very excited about. She was very close to her family. And so that Friday, she was supposed to pick up her paycheck from her work and go deposit it. This was something she normally did, but she never came to pick it up. She was supposed to run errands that morning, which was also something she normally did. So she would go to the bank, she would go to the grocery store. And one witness had claimed to see her on a 44 city bus, and this bus route had ended in a town called Enniscary, which is somewhere that Annie visited a lot. So it wasn't like it was out of the norm for her to go there. So there's conflicting stories as to where she was last seen. Um, I'll go with the first one that I read about, and then we'll talk about the second one. Witnesses had placed her around 9 p.m. that Friday at a pub called Johnny Fox's Pub, which was three miles outside of Enniscary. And witnesses claimed to have seen her with an unknown man. She wasn't known to have a boyfriend at the time, so it wasn't like, you know, it was kind of a strange thing. Yeah. Maybe she just met this guy at the bar or whatever. But then we have a... This information came out um, actually not too long ago. They have evidence from a witness that states that she wasn't actually at this pub that night. She was at a cafe. Okay, that's weird. Um, So this woman who claimed to have seen her was named uh, Margaret Wogan. And apparently she never came forward to the police, but she had told her daughter that she had seen Annie the day she went missing. 
And then I guess her daughter told the police because Margaret has since died. That's convenient. Yes. So Margaret had said that when she was working at this cafe, Annie was in the cafe and there was a man that had approached her and offered to buy her a slice of cake. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting form of uh, picking someone up, but all right. So if a guy's going to offer me cake, that's better than most things guys usually offer. Yeah, I mean, I don't like cake, so I can't relate, but... I mean, it depends on the cake. Could we could we barter for some pie? If it was pie, if sign it, me up. If it was pie, I'm there. <laughs> I am Dean Winchester when it comes to pie. I only like two kinds of pie. I'm kind of picky about my sweets, but maybe if you offer me, like, a bag of chips. <laughs> I'm very not picky about chips. Hand me any chips except salt and vinegar. Don't come for me. Oh, you can give those to me. Don't come for me. <laughs> okay, so, um, apparently she was seen at this cafe, not at a pub, and I got this sort of evidence from the UK Daily Mail. Um, they had posted, back in July, actually, of this year, They posted an article about the disappearance of Annie and um, stated that Michael Griffith, who was a lawyer that Annie's dad had hired in 1993, says that they had uncovered this witness statement, Margaret Wogan, um, and they said that Margaret had said that the man in the cafe with Annie fit this description of a suspect that private investigator Brian McCarthy has identified, but they did not state his name. So I assume that's something they're still working on since this happened in July. Hopefully something comes out of this. But as of right now, there's no, no one has been convicted of any of these disappearances. I guess that's what makes it unsolved. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Annie, that Saturday, so the day after she went missing, she was supposed to host a dinner party at her apartment. Um, and when her friends had arrived, you know, they saw she wasn't home and they were like, okay, that's weird. And they called her dad, John McCarrick. And he said that right away he knew something was wrong. This is not like Annie. She, she wouldn't just go off the grid and not let anybody know where she was going, what she was doing. So her family headed over to Ireland and they created a search party to look for her. And it actually turned out to be one of Ireland's largest searches. And nothing came of it. It was a huge search and there was a lot of effort put into it and there was absolutely no evidence all right, now we're on to the next disappearance that actually ended up happening only 12 weeks after Annie's disappearance. This lady's name was Eva Brennan. Eva was 40 years old when she went missing in July 25th, 1993, so this was only 12 weeks after Annie had disappeared. Eva vanished after leaving a family gathering on a Sunday afternoon, and just like Annie, she was very close with her family, um, so this wasn't something that was ordinary for her to do. She was last seen wearing a pink tracksuit and leggings, and some people have said that she was depressed prior to her disappearance. Unfortunately, I didn't find much information on her, and there haven't been any recent updates in the case, which is really unfortunate, um, because this happened in 1993. There have been, you know, further updates in, uh, in the other cases that are kind of linked to hers, but I could not find anything new besides, you know, her family trying to put more effort into more searches right. and asking people to come forward. Next, we have Imelda Keenan. Like Eva, this case also hasn't really been updated and there's not really much information. She isn't technically considered to be part of the Vanishing Triangle, but she went missing nearby okay. in 1994. So I thought it was appropriate to put her in here, especially since, you know, there's 
little information on her case, I think it's good to mention her. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Even if it's, like, not confirmed that she's part of it, if there's suspicion that she is, just treat it like Oh, yeah, 100%. She was 22, and she was last seen in Waterford, and there was a search done more recently in 2012, but nothing came of it. Next up, we have Jojo Dollard. I love the name Jojo. That's, I love that whole name, Jojo Dollard. It's cute. So, she went missing on Thursday, November 9th, 1995. This was a year after Imelda had gone missing. Um, She lived with her sister in County Kilkenny. Forgive me. Um, (laughs) Good old Kilkenny. (laughs) Forgive me for saying that wrong. So, the night of November 9th, she was out with her friends in Dublin. And she was supposed to take a bus home after this, um, but she had stayed a bit longer to talk to some friends, and she ended up missing the last bus that was supposed to take her home. So she decided to hitchhike. What year is this? This I'm was sorry. 1995. Okay. It was common. Yeah, I forget that hitchhiking was still a thing, like, into the 90s, because I feel like we've talked about this before, where, like, the world kind of did a flip, mm-hmm. I feel, or at least America, I feel like, did, like, a flip in, like, the 80s and 90s, where they were like, oh, wait, it isn't safe yeah. to just let your kids play until dark, and it isn't safe to, like, hitchhike and, you know, let strangers give you rides because all these serial killers popped up, and then mm-hmm. I forgot that, like, hitchhiking was still kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, especially at a time where, like, handheld cell phones weren't a thing. Right. I would feel even more nervous. Right, like, know? like, because now, like, I mean, especially, like, since, again, we're, like, young women, like girls go on dates with a guy from tinder and they send they text all their friends and their parents like the name of the restaurant the type of car he's driving his license plate his name his picture like Mm -hmm. in case they fucking disappear because that Mm -hmm. unfortunately happens yeah imagine doing that and i mean it's you know it's like with uber and lyft now they actually have if you're going to take an uber or a lyft alone there's an actual app that you can get um and if you start to feel unsafe in the car with somebody and you know something's wrong you can push a button and it it sends out a notification to um, police and family members yes there are a lot of apps like that there's one i have that's called kite string that if you feel like you're in an unsafe situation you open the app and you put your finger on the screen Mm -hmm. and if at any time your finger comes off the screen for more than five seconds the police are sent to your location yeah like it or you or you can choose to uh, have an emergency contact. So, like, for yeah. me, it's my mom. But, like, it can also send the police. Yeah. So, like, things like that are, like, keeping people safe. But, like, they didn't have that. Like, if exactly. you got if you got taken, you got taken. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, not even, like, a cell phone in your back pocket that they could track the location. Like, you were just fucking gone. And that's the thing with JoJo. Um, she had somebody that picked her up and drove her halfway home. So they dropped her off in a town called Moon. And um, this is that's where... Awesome. Yeah, no, I love that, isn't it? I want to live in Moon, Ireland. She had phoned a friend at a telephone booth to let her know (laughs) that she was coming home. She was just waiting for another ride. Okay. So when she was on the phone with her friend, she said, oh, a car's coming and I have to go now. And that's, she hung up. That was the last time she was hurt. Oh, okay. So like presumably the car that was coming was like she was trying to get a ride from that car. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she was dropped off in Moon by someone. And then she yeah, was well, like, was there friend, more information about the person she got the ride from in the first place? No, I did not see any information regarding okay. who that was. Um, maybe they chose not to come forward. Maybe they chose not to be named. 
So that was the last time she was heard. So according to Garda, which is like, I found out this is what they call their police there, like their state police. Okay, yeah. Um, their serious crime review team, which they kind of put together in February of this year, Detective Superintendent Desmond McTiernan stated that they have determined that JoJo is no longer alive and they have reclassified her disappearance as a murder. Oh. Um, I haven't seen how they've decided this. I'm assuming they have decent enough evidence or information to reclassify her right. case. And it has been a very long time. So, So after JoJo... We have a woman named Fiona Pender, and she disappeared a year after, so 1996. The greatest year of all time! <laughs> so she went missing in 1996 in a, in a town called Tullamore. Forgive me, I'm probably saying Tullamore. that wrong. <laughs> this was Tullamore. <laughs> <laughs> she was 25 years old when she went missing, and she was heavily pregnant at the time. I believe she was seven months pregnant. That's fucked. I found an article that was from the Irish Times, and this was published back in 2017. They stated that they have a suspect in the case of Fiona Pender, but he hasn't been arrested. There's information from a woman that had accused her husband of being involved in Fiona's death. She accused him of violent rage and sexual attacks on her, and she said that when he was having one of his fits of rage that he threatened her and implied that he killed Fiona and that oh. she would be next. Oh, shit. Um, yes, but her case against him did not result in a conviction. So we How? do not know his name. We do not know who he is. What? Because they just don't have surmountable evidence to be like, yep. And she said he indirectly, like, he implied that he killed Fiona. He didn't oh, say, he didn't, like, come out and yeah, say Yeah, I don't think okay. he said, like, oh, I killed so. Fiona Pender. Like, you know... But he said something that made her believe that he did. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like that happens too often. Like, that someone has, like, a reasonable suspicion towards somebody, and they're like, mm, nah, it's fine. And then it just stays unsolved forever. That's kind of like Ted Bundy's girlfriend. Because she was the one to phone the police and be like, I think something's up with Ted. He's been acting strange. That's wild. And by this time, he had already killed, like, how many women? I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't know that much about Ted Bundy. I think he is the office of serial killers. Well, you're gonna learn, because I have a lot of information on Ted Bundy. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to hear it. Sweet. All right. <laughs> Prepare for a Ted Bundy in a future give podcast me, Give me episode. a whole lesson. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, Fiona Pender. Then the following year, so this seemed to have been happening on a yearly basis, which is really strange. The following year, in 1997, we have a 17-year-old girl. Her name was Ciara Breen. She went missing February 13th of that year, 1997, and she was missing from the town of Dundalk. Again, forgive me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm Irish, but I I just don't know Not these that things. Brand. Yeah. So, again, for her, there are conflicting stories. Um, I've seen two different scenarios regarding to um, her disappearance. In the first one that I read, Ciara was home and had spoken to her mom on the phone till about, like, 12 at night, and then she told her mom, like, look, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed, I love you, good night. Um, and that was that. 
and apparently that's the last she was heard of, and police believe that she left the house on her own through her window because it was open. So that's the one scenario. Yeah, that's strange. I'm sorry, how old was she? 17. Okay, yeah, I mean, I've been there. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. (laughs) I, too, have left my house through an open window at the age of 17. it makes sense, so... Sorry, Mom and Dad. <laughs> I had places to be. Yeah, that's just, you know, girl things. That's just teenage things. Yeah. Let's not put a gender on it. <laughs> that's true. But then the other article that I read, UK Daily Mail had stated that her mom was home with her that night, and, you know, they were talking till 12 in the morning, and then they both went to bed in their respective rooms, and then her mom had woken up around 2 a.m. to go to the bathroom. And the mom had said that she went to go check on Ciara and that she wasn't in her bed. Her, okay. Her window was open and left on the latch, like, suggesting she was planning to come back. Oh, but okay. she never did. Yep, been there. Yeah, so I don't know which one is accurate. I'm right. I'm more inclined to believe the second one's accurate, considering she was 17. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm sure her mom, she was still living with her mom, but yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of us have been that 17-year-old, so I don't think it's... It's not that far-fetched to believe that a 17-year-old girl would sneak out her window to go meet somebody or do something. Yeah. No, definitely not. It's not weird at all. I Um, used to... I'm so sorry, Mom and Dad, um, but I used to sneak out... I lived in a one-floor house, so I'd sneak out my window very easily and just, like, meet up with my friend, like, parked out on the road, and then we would just go to a party that was, like, in the woods, because that's where we lived, and we would just go to a bonfire in the woods, and that's, like, the cool sneaking out where I grew up was, you go to a bonfire in the woods, like, it was not that interesting. I never snuck out of my bedroom window, I was on the first floor, but I never snuck out, one, because the windows were fucking, like, cemented shut, that's how old they were, I still (laughs) cannot get them open, and two... Me and my friends were not like that. <laughs> See, like, I don't, like, I wasn't... We did weird shit, but yeah. we weren't, like, let's sneak out. My parents were so laid back, they'd kind of be like, oh yeah, go ahead. I don't like, fuck. honestly, if I had just asked, it probably would have been fun, because my parents were, like, really cool about letting me do stuff, like, they knew I was, like, smart and not, you know, super irresponsible. Yeah. But the rush, man, <laughs> of climbing out that little three-foot window and dropping directly onto the grass underneath. While your Ooh. parents are sleeping. Yeah, man, let me tell you. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that's what Sierra was doing. Going yeah. to meet a boy, right. going to meet her girlfriend. Especially if she, like, left the window open. Because if this is, like, part of... We're assuming that it's, like, the same string of, like, possible yeah. abductions. And the others seemed to happen so smoothly and flawlessly. Mm-hmm. If that were the case, I don't do not believe the abductor would have left a window open. No. Like... And there would have been some sign of forced... Like, he forced the window open Exactly. Somehow. And I... Based on the other stories of abduction or disappearances that we've heard so far, it doesn't sound like he's sneaking into people's houses. No. It's like... the. It, when they're out and about yeah. and easily snatched yeah. is when it's happening. So I would firmly believe that she snuck out. And yeah. It's just kind but of the, the thing I just realized is that you think you would think if she was going out to meet somebody that she knew, they would come forward and be like, yeah, she never showed up. Or, you know what I mean? True. Or she did show up and then she went home, but she never made it. Yeah, you know, and then th- they look like the guilty party. So right, like every teenager is gonna cover their ass and 
not come forward to yeah. say, oh, yeah, she snuck out with me because yeah. I also snuck out because they don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. But if your friend is missing, yeah. it, that shit doesn't matter. And it's been 30 years, so. That is also a good point. <laughs> For me, it's been, like, five years, and I'm still hesitant <laughs> to be like, hey, parents. I did this when I, I was snuck out, like, twice. Well, now they know. Sorry, um, guys. They're not listening to this. They don't support me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My parents are great. <laughs> Jim. Jim and Amy. Amy. Cheers <laughs> to Jim and Amy. <laughs> um, okay, and then regarding Sierra's case, or Sierra, there was an article that I found from The Independent from 2017 that stated there was a main suspect in Sierra's case, and this shit's interesting. He died of a suspected overdose in Dundalk Garda Station. So, in a police station. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so his name was Liam Mullen, and he was 55, and he was detained for drunk driving. Police believed that he ingested something, probably drugs, before his arrest and died in custody. Okay. He was first arrested in her disappearance in 1999 and again in 2015 after new statements came in with fresh info. He was later released with no charge, and so that's just very strange if you think about our American justice system and Jeffrey Epstein and- Don't even start me on the American (laughs) justice system. Next up, we have, which is weird, another lady named Fiona, Fiona Sinnott. She disappeared at the age of 19 in February of 1998. So she was the mother of an 11-month-old. She was last confirmed to be at a pub with friends on the night of her disappearance. So that is very similar. That's pretty much all they know, but there's some information that I have from recent years that says that Fiona's family believe that they know who murdered her. I couldn't find if they ever stated who it was. I I think maybe it was something they had to keep on the down low so that they could find the evidence needed to convict this person. Right. When, like, police have a suspect in a murder case, they don't post on the news. Like, they're obviously going to keep that shit under wraps while they look into it. Yeah. So that would make sense. Yeah. They said the night she went missing, her ex-boyfriend, Sean Carroll, was at that bar too, and he said that, you know, the night she went missing, he had walked her home from the pub to her house in, oh god, forgive me, Bali hit, Bali hit, <laughs> oh god, and I don't know how far away that was from the pub they were at, but mm-hmm. um, he said that he walked her home, and he said that she claimed that she didn't feel good, and that she had pain in her arm and her upper body. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's weird. He said that he spent the night on her couch You know, she went right to bed, he said, um, and then the next morning around 9 a.m., he woke up, and before he left, he went to her room to go check on her. Okay. He said that she was awake in bed, and that she told him that she was going to go to the doctors that day, because she still didn't feel good. Um, but she told him that- Imagine living in a country where you can just go to the doctor and you don't feel well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and not have to worry about it. I mean, she told him that she didn't have any money, so she was going to go- she was going to hitch a ride. Okay. So there's- Okay, imagine living in a country where you don't have any money, but can still go to the doctor when you don't feel well. (laughs) But we won't talk about that. There have been times I've been quite certain I'm on death's doorstep, and I still don't go to the doctor. (laughs) So, 
this ex-boyfriend, Sean, he said that he um, left after this and that his mother was actually waiting for him outside to drive him home. And retired Detective Sergeant Alan Bailey said that there was no evidence of foul play in her home. And he did state that it was sort of weird because when they were looking through her apartment, there was just a complete absence of clothing and other personal things in the home that would suggest, like, a young mom and her 11-month-old daughter lived there. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that's kind of strange. I don't know... Uh, you know, if maybe they were just really tight on money. Um, but he said that that was really weird. Um, so I also read that after her disappearance, um, the police received information that there was a, a guy that was having a hard time living with himself. Um, oh. Yeah, for taking part in Fiona's disappearance and apparent death. Um, the person that was told this had suggested that the guy you know, send an anonymous tip to the police, you know, where her, where her body is, something like that, and, um, the man said no, because only two other people knew about where her body was, and that, and what had happened, and telling the police would be, like, signing a death wish, um, and this man died of a suspected drug drug overdose in 2007. Yeah, suspected. Yeah. But again, maybe it's because he couldn't live with himself. Maybe it was completely of his own doing. Right. Um, he was never, you know, he was never, his name was never brought public, so. That's weird to me. That's very strange. Yeah, definitely. Um, that could be, like, its own separate wormhole. Like, that's like a, yeah. or not, <laughs> not a wormhole, but like a rabbit hole. <laughs> wormhole. It's like a rabbit hole, but more intense. (laughs) More soul-sucking. It's weird because when we get into, like, the main people of interest, that doesn't really make sense. Right. Um, So, we're almost to the possible perps. We have one last woman that is connected with the triangle. Like, how many disappearances are there in total? Um, so I wrote it down later on, but they have, um, confirmed that they do believe a total of eight women are definitely connected within this vanishing triangle. Okay. Um, and then there's, like, a few women that, you know, their disappearance happened on the outskirts, and they're kind of, like, considering it, but it's never been... Oh, like, officially? Yeah. Okay. Um... So the last woman that was, like, officially known to have disappeared in Ireland's Vanishing Triangle, um, uh, was, you're gonna have to help me with this, Deirdre, Deirdre? Deidre? Deidre. Deidre. I'm so sorry. Deidre Jacob. I can Jacob. only say it in a British accent because of that one episode of Psych where they keep going, Deidre! <laughs> so, Deidre. Deidre. Um, so, like I said, she was considered to be the last girl that disappeared in, um, this vanishing triangle, and she disappeared in July of 1998, and at the time, she was 18 years old, um, and on the day she disappeared, she was seen earlier in the day on security cameras at the local bank post office, and she was also seen passing by the main street in Newbridge, where she lived, 
and neighbors state that they saw her about 200 yards from her house or right in front of her house on the side of the road, and that was the last sighting of her. No one saw her going inside. It's like they looked, they saw her on the side of the road checking the mailbox or something, looked away, then looked back, and she just was gone. That is strange. Yeah. That's like, I don't know, like one of those things that like, if that is like the, you said she was on the side of the road. Yeah. Okay, so that's like the, one of those things that if it was an abduction, it had to be incredibly fast and incredibly clean. Yeah. So like, I mean. And there had to be at least two people. Right. One driving and one being able to just quickly Yeah, because, like, if she was out there enough for her neighbors to see her there, but no one saw her, like, potentially be taken, like, yeah. if she was out just standing near her mailbox, maybe she was, at, like, I don't know, like, like waiting for the mail or something like that, a van comes by and scoops her up and no one sees it, mm-hmm. like, that is somebody who knows what the fuck yeah. they're doing. And there was no evidence that she managed to get inside her house, so they do believe that she was just kind of... And there was, like, no, like, sign of a struggle or anything like that to be seen. That's fucking wild. I know. It but, I mean, is, this is the last one. Yeah. So, okay. So, hypothetically, if all of these disappearances were the same person or same team of abductors, I guess, at this point, they're obviously very good at it if they're mm-hmm. abducting all of these women without leaving a single trace. Yeah, and, and I'm sure they've done it before. Down. They yeah. must be really good at it, and they're getting ballsy if they're doing it with someone out in the, openly yeah. on the side oh, of the yeah. road where her neighbors could see her. Oh, yeah. If that is where she was taken from, like, I mean, it's also possible she walked... Or moved away from that area and was taken from somebody or somewhere else. But, like, if it's to the point that they're just taking people, like, in the open like that. Like, yeah, obviously they're, they're good at it and they know what they're doing. Yeah. They're like a well-oiled little kidnapping machine. Yep. You hate to see it. Yeah, it's unfortunate, honestly. But we do have some, like, we have two major people of interest. Um, one more than the other. And then we have one that I kind of found a former detective claimed, but there's really, I don't really see much basis in what he's claiming, but we'll go over that. Okay. Um, so the first guy um, I read about, and he's actually uh, he's actually on, like, Murderpedia and stuff. He's a serial uh, killer. Nice. Um, I mean, not nice, just <laughs> Murderpedia itself. He's on nice. Murderpedia, so. <laughs> the um, murderers are not nice. He's legit. Murderpedia is cool. Okay. Um, his name was Robert Howard, and he was known as the werewolf. <laughs> he, um, he was a known sexual deviant killer and rapist, and oh. he served a life sentence for the 2001 rape and murder of a 14-year-old girl. Jesus. 14? Um, yes. Jesus Christ. So not necessarily the age range we're thinking of, but... Right. See, a name like Werewolf, I was like, huh, like Scott McCall from Teen Wolf, but now I'm like, oh, gross. Like a fucking beast. Don't, Um, don't give werewolves a bad name. Yeah, really. Literally the worst thing you can be is, like, a pedophilic rapist and killer, um, calling you a werewolf is too nice. Yeah. Just call, call him what he is, because that's worse. Yeah, honestly. He died in prison, um, in 2015. Bitch. Um, yeah, he was, like, actually old as fuck, so... Oh, shit. Yeah, I saw his picture on Murderpedia. I was like, that dude's definitely kicked the bucket. So next up, we have, like, the guy with the most potential to be the guy behind all of these disappearances. Okay. Um, his name is Larry Murphy. He's... A Murphy in Ireland? 
No. No way. Not there. Um, he's actually the main suspect in a few of the cases of these girls, and I'll mention which ones once we get into it. He worked near where Deidre disappeared, and he lived a few towns away from where Jojo uh, disappeared. Oh, shit. Um, okay, that's pretty damning. Yeah, so he was, you know, around where the circle, I mean the circle, the triangle <laughs> was. And in 2000, he stalked and abducted a woman in Carlo, which was within the triangle. He raped her twice in, like, in the woods, and luckily um, two men had just happened to be walking by and scared the shit out of Larry, and he took off like a pussy. After that, he was convicted because the woman was able to point out who he was, and he only served 10 years. Of course. Yeah. Which, not to stand up on my soapbox, but... <laughs> You're going to. I'm going to, because monsters like that who are stalking and raping women serve 10 years and then get out just to fucking do it again. Yeah. But people who were arrested for having, you know, half a gram of pot on them are still in prison 20 years later. So, that's my soapbox. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so this, he was like a convicted stalker. Then. Yeah, like he, he was convicted of stalking her. and then raping her. Okay, so a stalker, I feel like, is a really good, like, that's really damning evidence. Because there are people who are stalkers, they don't just do it one time. It's like a thing. Like, I don't know. Like, they stalk somebody, unless it's like a, a specific case that they're stalking someone for some specific reason. But, like, if they're just a fucking stalker. And then they stalk somebody until they either get caught or the person moves or they, for whatever reason, they can't anymore. They just move on to somebody else. So I feel like a stalker would be a very good angle to explain this. Mm -hmm. And actually, it kind of makes me think of the pillowcase rapist mm -hmm. who, I don't know if you're familiar, but he stalked women to the point that it was, like, his full-time job. Like, yeah. he was, like, obsessively would stalk these women mm -hmm. until he knew their complete schedule up until, like, he knew one woman left her front door unlocked for ten minutes on Wednesdays. Yeah. And he took that opportunity to sneak into her house and hide in a closet and then, you know, pop out, do his rapist thing, and leave. So when we look at the case of Deidre by her mailbox, like, when I was saying, like, that's got to be a fairly well-oiled machine, like, say hypothetically she was waiting for the mail if the mail comes at the same time every day mm -hmm. and he knows that she'll be out there around that time that's mm -hmm. when he like takes his opportunity to pop out and grab her i think a stalker is a really good angle of how to make someone kind of disappear without a trace like seems to be the case for all of these women is that like if you stalk them long enough and you know them and know their schedule well enough, that you can make them disappear at, like, the most opportune times and mm -hmm. know that you can do it without being caught. The thing is, with the pillowcase rapist, I assume he had a type. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't remember. True, but regarding these women, there's genuinely really no similarities okay. between these women. Um, most okay. of them have dark hair. But, um, but I feel like most people do. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like you can't just you know, I mean they're all they're all white. Um, but well, other than that, yeah, I mean other than that, there's just no significant connection. They don't really look alike. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, often people who are serial stalkers, serial rapists, 
serial killers, they have a type. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just an age range. Yeah. You know, And this age range was pretty big, 17 to 40. That's Yeah, that's pretty pretty significant. significant. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's, that's weird then. Yeah. That is weird. So this dude got out after 10 years. In 2014, he was known to be living in London under a false name. Apparently, he had multiple false names. And quite coincidentally, the disappearances ceased while he was in prison. Shocking. Um, and he allegedly matched the description of the man seen with Annie McCarrick the night she vanished, but there was no good evidence or proof to arrest him. Um, so the woman, most specifically in that other scenario, the woman that saw Annie at the cafe, she had pointed out that man looked significantly like Larry. Ugh. Um, looking like Larry. Yeah, he'd he be looking like Larry. Not living like Larry, but he's looking like Larry. And as of May 2020, um, police are considering charging him, Larry Murphy, in the dis- in the disappearance of Deidre Jacob. Okay. So, um, okay. they've been monitoring him in London. Deidre is considered to be the last of eight women that Murphy killed. So if we think about it, he could be responsible for all eight disappearances right. classified under the vanishing triangle. Right. Uh, who knows what kind of evidence the police have. Uh, of why they're so sure that this man is most likely the 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 killer, but as of October 2020, the Garde, forgive me, the state police in Ireland <laughs> have labeled Murphy as a person of interest in JoJo's disappearance. Okay. Um, and the Irish Sun, which is um like a newspaper slash online news outlet, had stated that um. Larry Murphy had been in Ireland recently and was in Ireland during the COVID lockdown. And they have claimed that he is now homeless and living okay. on the streets in um, Ireland. So, Good. but I assume that the police know that. Um, they said they were monitoring him when he was in London, so I assume they're still monitoring him. And then this is the last sort of suspect i guess but this was the one that i mentioned doesn't really have much basis and it's about this detective sergeant alan bailey he came out with a book in 2014 i think called missing presumed and he was the former national coordinator of the operation task force trace task force that they developed for these women specifically the Operation Task Force was something that came up in 1998 where all the information on these women were gathered in one place. And this was kind of where they found, like, you know, the only basic commonalities were that they were all between 17 and 40, and they all disappeared within an 80-mile radius of Dublin. And this was when they declared that Annie, Jojo, Fiona Breen, Ciara, Deidre, and Fiona Sinnott were connected. Okay. So those are the ones that they believe are definitely connected. Okay. Um, Interesting. I don't know what evidence they have to back that, but they're pretty confident in that. And McCarthy stated that you have the same profile, young, attractive females who have all disappeared inside a very close geographical triangle. The common denominator is there's no evidence left behind. There's no evidence at all. No shoe, no belt, no purse, no watch, nothing. And this, I feel like, can kind of tie into his um, 
theory, I guess, that he mentioned in his book, Missing and Presumed. He states that there was a possibility of two mishandlings in the case of Annie McCarrick. Okay. According to his sources, I don't know who his sources are, I haven't read the book, but the night at the bar, which is strange because we're being led to believe that she was at a cafe. Right. Anyway, apparently a member of the IRA met Annie at the bar and divulged secret information to her. For okay. some stupid reason. Interesting. And then I guess he realized, oh shit, I just told this girl I don't even know some secret information. So he... And then he had to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine being so loose-lipped that you're like, want to hear a secret? Fuck. Now I have to kill you. My yeah, bad. Yeah, honestly. So apparently, you know, he murdered her to keep her quiet for shit that he just freely told her. Ew. And went and buried her in the mountains. So, Alan Bailey's, like, sources claim that they told the police, but they didn't look into this alleged IRA guy. So, I assume that they don't have a name. Who knows if he even exists. He could just be Larry Murphy. Could be. So, you know. And that's sort of all the information I have regarding these disappearances. It does seem like there's been quite a few updates. Nothing damning, nothing pointing to, like, that guy definitely did it. Right. But there's enough to be suspicious of multiple people. And it seems like the police... It seems like Stalker Man seems like he did... That's a... That sounds like a good angle. And it seems like the police do have information that the public does not know of. Uh, well, obviously, yes. <laughs> well, that makes them confident that, yeah. you know, Larry's probably suspected in at least um, eight of these disappearances. And presumably murders. Right, yeah. Well, um, at this point, I think we can be pretty comfortable in saying that it's not just disappearance, it's also murder. Yeah. It's been, what, um, 30 years? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I think... Um, one of the women was, you know, officially declared dead in 2005, so yeah, it was kind of... Sense. Like, that's awful and so heartbreaking, but, like, it obviously... Yeah. It, yeah. Like, you, kind of, at this point, you have to assume. Yeah. Um, especially when it's so many women. Yeah. And you, you've never heard from or seen or found any evidence leading to yeah. literally any of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, they're dead. Which um, is obviously so tragic, but... I, I can't get over... It. Yeah, I can't get over the no evidence part. Yeah, that's wild. Um, They've done so many separate searches for these women, and they even, like, laid out an area of Ireland where they're like, oh, these women definitely disappeared from this 80-mile radius between right. Dublin. But there's absolutely no evidence. No one dropped a purse when they were being taken... You know, no one's, you know, jewelry fell off somewhere. Right. Um, I did read somewhere that they found, like, bone fragments, but I didn't put it in just because they did rule it out as not being any of the women. Right. Um, Hot tip, if you ever get kidnapped, if you are conscious and able to do so, start ripping out your hair and biting off your fingernails and dropping them everywhere you can. Smart. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to play the crazy act and be like, maybe they'll think I'm crazy enough to let me go. Oh, no, okay, one of the greatest things you're going to, okay, so I actually read this once, and this is actually pretty good advice. If 
someone is attacking you and trying to kidnap or rape mm-hmm. or assault you, either piss yourself mm-hmm. or do your best to throw up. Yeah. Gross that, like, shit yourself. Who cares? Get away from that guy. Yeah. Creep him. Like, gross him out until well, he gets away from you. You said you haven't seen Split, right? Right. So, in the movie Split... Wait, don't... Okay, no, everybody, just... Emily loves spoiling <laughs> movies, and she's about to spoil this movie for me. No, And just... all of you. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that the guy, James McAvoy, who plays the right. main guy, yeah. he kidnaps three girls, yeah. and um, one of the girls tells the other girls to pee herself. Oh, okay. When he's trying to grab her, because, for one, the one personality, he's very germaphobic. Um, but on the other hand, yes, that is kind of gross. So oh, that's what made of... me think of that, is that, you know, as just a Just a little icky. Yeah. Not a fan. And it's really, and it's really unfortunate, and I think it's important to put these cases out there, um, even if they happened 30 years ago. Because, right, yeah. you know, like you've seen, there's so many cases that get solved so many years later, and even though, you know, the killer might be dead, or whatever, it still brings some sort of closure to, you know, whatever family the victim yeah, has Yeah, like, left. whatever it was, yeah. Yeah. And there's a, the, there's a final resting place and for And there's also just, like, like, people like us and people like all the true crime fans out there who want answers. And, like, her memory does, like, all the memories of these women deserve the answers. It's yeah. not even about necessarily the family members but it's about like justice needs to be brought to the monster who did these things Mm -hmm. uh those women clearly didn't deserve this and they deserve justice for what happened to them you know what i mean yeah and like i don't care if it's 50 years later like yeah (laughs) if you have evidence and you have a lead you you need to follow and you need to do it yeah all right well good job (laughs) <laughs> that was interesting to learn about. That was that was pretty heavy. So, yeah, that was heavy. Um, super weird. Again, that I've never heard of that, but yeah, very fascinating. Yeah. 